0: Здравствуйте, Grace Point Church! My name is Vladimir, and I am a shoebox recipient from Kiev, Ukraine. I received one of these beautiful and colorful shoeboxes from Samaritan's Purse, Operation Christmas Child, when I was only 9 years old. And what a blessing this gift was, not only for myself, but also for the whole family. And for me, it was extra special because this was my first Christmas gift ever. And the gospel came with it, but it wouldn't be possible if it weren't for the wonderful, hardworking people like you. And speaking of wonderful, hardworking people, I hear that you've been faithfully packing shoeboxes for over five years. And I want to say a huge thank you to your project leaders, Bob and Sandra Ziegler, for all the hard work that they've put in. And let me tell you, your hard work does not go unnoticed. And so today I would just like to share my testimony with you in hopes that perhaps it will encourage you to continue doing all the good that you've already been doing. So I come from a family of nine children. My father was an underground minister in Kiev, Ukraine. My father risked his life preaching the gospel on the streets of Kiev at the time when it wasn't popular or allowed. And because my father was a believer living in a communist country, he was hindered from advancing in our society. My father had to settle for low-paying jobs, which resulted in us having to take turns to go outside to play because we didn't have enough shoes for for everybody. We also had to share our toothbrushes. We didn't have access uh, to a lot of toys, especially new toys, but it didn't stop us from being creative. We made yo-yos out of Coca-Cola caps, and we played with our shoes pretending they were cars. And as for food, we pretty much grew up on rice and potatoes, which I often jokingly say that we were vegetarians and we didn't even know it. And <laughs> We grew up in a tiny three bedroom apartment with barely any heating cooling. We didn't have a washer and a dryer, so my mom, she had to do all the laundry by hand. And because of the amount of laundry that my mom had to do, her skin would often crack and bleed. And then mom, she would stay up all night and she would make socks and underwear for us out of old clothes or donated material. So we grew up very poor on the inside of the apartment walls and we were heavily persecuted on the outside But in the middle of all that, we were invited to come to a Christmas celebration. And this was in the middle of cold Ukrainian winter. We had to hop on a bus and then on a tram just to get to this place. And when we pulled up to this event, I was walking in at the same time with the girl that I recognized from my class. But I was very surprised to see this girl there because I knew that this girl was not a Christian. And for some reason, I assumed that this event was only for Christians. But to my surprise, This event was filled with all kinds of people from all walks of life. And when we walked into this place, it's like we transitioned from this black and white Ukrainian winter to a colorful room of joy and laughter. There was so much happy music, beautiful, welcoming smiles. But most importantly, they presented the gospel to us in so many different and unique ways through singing, dancing, cartoons, movies, animations, flannel boards. It's like the gospel came alive. And then at the very end, they brought out these beautiful and colorful shoeboxes, and when I opened my shoebox, it's like everything that I imagined playing with growing up, it's like it manifested in real life in my shoebox. I had mown yo-yo. I didn't have to make yo yo out of Coca-Cola caps anymore. I had mown hot wall cars, I didn't have to play with my shoes pretending they were cars. I had mown toothbrush. I didn't have to share toothbrush with anybody. I had this dental floss that I thought was candy, but most importantly, I felt loved. And I always say that God is love. When you show love to people, you show God to people. When people experience love, they experience God. And once you experience that God's unconditional love, you will not walk away unchanged. And that's what you get to be a part of when you pack a shoebox with Samaritan's Purse, Operation Christmas Child. And I'm just so honored and blessed to serve alongside of you. May God bless you.
1: Welcome to this session with Grace Point Church, and if you have a copy of God's Word with you, I trust you do, whether it's in a paper-bound form or in a digital form on your device, if you would find the letter to the, to the Philippian Church by the Apostle Paul in your New Testament, and we will continue our journey through this little letter, which is so rich in God's grace and in the joy we can have as believers. I was thinking back, as you uh, turn in your copy of God's Word, I was thinking back uh, to the fact that I do not really remember a time where I did not wear corrective lenses. (laughs) I used to claim uh, to my mother that I must have been born with glasses, but uh, she denied that fact, so I have to take her word for it. Uh, But I do know that early on, I received a pair of corrective lenses and I needed them desperately. I could see things up close, but you don't want me driving without these corrective lenses. And uh, it's hard to see far away for for what I'm doing. If I look far away at at a distance uh, without these corrective lenses, everything is fuzzy and blurry and not decipherable in my mind. It's just a lot of pretty colors out there. And so I'm thankful for that technology and yet, Uh, I can see things up close if I need to. You know, for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need the corrective lens of Scripture, don't we? Uh, Because we tend to see things up close really well uh, in our own lives, in our circumstances. Uh, But when we look far away and we look ahead, uh, it gets pretty blurry and hard to understand. There's a lot of uncertainty, and especially in this time that we're living in now, Uh, through these days of political, social unrest and a pandemic, uh, our circumstances can look pretty bleak from day to day. And yet, for believers in Jesus Christ, he's given us the corrective lenses, if you will, uh, so we can get our heads up and not have to just focus on the immediate and what's around us, but to look at what really creates great joy. All of us live in a midst of certain circumstances, and for you... Uh, They may be different than what I'm going through, but yet all of us have a collective sharing of uh, certain things that uh, move around our nation and through us personally uh, that can create uh, great anxiety. And we can have our our joy just uh, stripped away from our lives if we allow that to happen. So we need the corrective lens of Scripture to guide us to the fact that no matter what our circumstances are, even in adversity, even in pandemics and social and political unrest, uh, we can have the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ that fills our life. So if you'd take your copy of God's word, we're gonna continue this study in the book of Philippians. Chapter one, I'll be reading verses one through 11. We looked at the first two verses in our last session. Uh, But we will continue on today and hopefully get through verse 11 of chapter 1. But I'm going to start again right at the beginning where Paul introduces himself and greets those he's writing to. Philippians 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 7, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge, all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage today. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you that uh, you have superintended and protected your word throughout the centuries and you've brought it to us in our own heart language. We praise you for that. I thank you for the people of Grace Point Church. And also I thank you for our guests who may be with us here today online. And we pray for each family, each person that we would grow in Christ today because of the application of your word through the power of your spirit to each one of our lives. We pray for our country. We pray in this election season. We know that the word tells us that you establish kings and you take them down, that in your sovereignty, uh, you have designed what is happening to us today and that as we live through it, may we have eyes to see and the far-sightedness to see and the long view to see uh, that you are gracious, good, and you are loving your people. For in Jesus' powerful name I pray, amen and amen. As we look at this letter of Philippians, and if you've been with us this last session, You know that the Apostle Paul, this is about 61 or 62 AD, he's imprisoned in Rome about to face trial by Nero and soon to be martyred on the Appian Way. The Apostle Paul is writing to believers in Philippi, which is some 800 miles east of the city of Rome where Paul is imprisoned. And uh, this is a church that he planted in Acts chapter 16. Uh, with, the, with the women down on the riverbank, if you remember uh, that account in the book of Acts, the historical section of the early church. And the Apostle Paul has been visited by Epaphroditus. and Epaphroditus is probably the pastor of this church that the Apostle Paul planted there in Philippi. Philippi remembers a Roman city. Uh, they're mostly Greek and Romans there. Uh, many retired military personnel are settled in, in uh, Philippi. And so they have a high understanding of what it means to be a citizen and they have the rights of people. They have the rights and the privileges of the people even in the city of Rome here in Philippi. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to encourage this uh, little church and to thank them for their gift that Epaphroditus brought and to just address them on the whole issue of how to live the Christian life. If you want one theme, For the letter of uh, Philippians, it would be how to live the Christian life. If you were with us uh, through our study through the letter of Colossians, you know that the theme of that uh, letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae was the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And here, because of that supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ, then this is how we should live. And the Apostle Paul is encouraging his readers Uh, to pay attention, to learn, and to be encouraged, and to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in verses 3 through 11, we're going to look here today, we're going to see three things as we go through that. We see that the Apostle Paul, in the midst of his circumstances, his imprisonment, he had great joy. And how can that be? You know, we have some unsettling times and we have some restrictions upon us and we aren't meeting together yet in a building and yet, you know, we can go on and on about all the things that are negative and adverse in our experience and yet we're not sitting in a Roman prison chained to a a Roman soldier, to a guard and facing imminent, imminent death. And the Apostle Paul has great joy and what is the source of his joy, really, Why did he have such joy in a time like this? And uh, why do so few people in our country today have that kind of joy? Uh, All you have to do is look at social media, watch the news, pay attention to what your neighbors and friends and family members are saying, perhaps. And uh, joy is is a, a characteristic that is in short supply in many people's lives. And as Christians, that should not be. The Apostle Paul... Uh, he, he, what was his secret? He had the key that he had found uh, to this thing called joy. And the secret was a simple one. The Apostle Paul had filled his mind with Christ. He speaks of the mind in this letter many times. I've read somewhere, and I think it's true, that your mind cannot uh, think of two things at once. I, I think it's true. You know, for example, you can't be thinking of the pain in your back that you're having <clears throat> uh, at the same moment you're thinking about an ice cream cone. you know uh, It's just kind of an impossibility for the human mind. And similarly, you cannot be thinking about your problems and adversities the same moment you're thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew this very well. He knew it theoretically and he knew it practically in his life. Consequently, he had filled his mind with Christ. Up above, notice in verse 2, he greets these saints or believers in Christ, the church at Philippi and he gives them grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, that unmerited favor, and and peace, the shalom, peace, that wellness of our whole being in that sense. When Christians, when believers in Christ, remember this book is addressed to those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ for eternal life. That's a saint, one set apart unto God. But when Christians grasp the reality of God's grace, they experience God's peace and a joy joy-filled life results. Did you catch that? When Christians grasp the reality of God's grace and experience God's peace, true joy, and a joy-filled life is what results. What we're going to see in these uh, verses here, the Apostle Paul has the cure for nearsightedness. Not my physical nearsightedness, but my nearsightedness spiritually and experientially When the days are dark and gloomy, and uh, when I have my eyes fixed upon my own problems, my circumstances, and my adversity. Well, the Apostle Paul has three things that he tells uh, these Philippian believers, and by extension, over the centuries, to you and I. And the first one is found in verses 3 through 6, where he tells them, I have you in my mind, I have you on my mind. The second one, in 7 and 8, I have you in my heart. And in verses 9 through 11, I have you in my prayers. So we see mind, heart, and prayers in these in this paragraph. But take a look at verses three through six, and we're gonna see four things about our minds here. Notice in verse three, the Apostle Paul says, "'I thank my God in all my remembrance of you.'" That's a reference to his thinking process, and he's remembering these believers in Philippi, over in that little church who are in a pagan city, in a pagan country, who are assaulted on every side and persecuted But the beginning place is the Apostle Paul is remembering them and he is thankful for them. First of all, his mind is thankful. And that word is Eucharisto, which we have the term Eucharist from, which means to be thankful. And the Apostle Paul is thanking who? He's thanking God that he's able to remember all these people. He has secondly, a remembering mind. He does not forget the grace of God in establishing this church, in raising up and saving these people of this church. And he is remembering them. He's thankful for them. And thirdly, he has a joyful mind, a joyful mind. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, verse 4, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. And so he has a joyful mind. And he tells us why in view, verse 5, of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. He has this joyful mind because of their participation. That word that is translated participation or partners or partakers is the word koinonia in the Greek. And it means that intense intense fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ at the center of all of our relationships. Fellowship is not just coffee and donuts, but it is the bond we share and the participation, the fellowship of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he has a thankful mind, a remembering mind, verses four and five, a joyful mind. And when our minds are transformed by grace and peace, thankfulness results and great confidence is the product. Look at verse 6. He also has a confident mind. One of the greatest verses on this subject in the New Testament, verse 6, where it says, For I am confident, the Apostle Paul is confident, of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. This is perhaps, as I said, one of the three greatest verses in the Bible that teach the doctrine of the saints, how the saints are related. The doctrine that no one whom God has brought to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ will ever be lost. This is a verse of security. The two other passages that I regard Uh, along with Philippians 1, 6, as being the greatest expression of our security in the entire Bible, is John 10, 27 through 28, and Romans 8, 38 through 39. Listen to John 10, 27 through 28. Jesus said, "'My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand.'" Great first to remember, in Romans eight thirty eight through 39, the Apostle Paul assures his readers, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as we look at these verses a little more closely, Paul says that God is determined to do a good work in us. He is persevering to do this good work in us. What is that good work? The answer is not really spelled out here in Philippians 1, 6, but is spelled out very clear in Romans 8, You know, You know, I just read it, Romans eight twenty uh, eight eight twenty eight for us. And we know that all things, God works for the good of those who love him and those who have been called according to his purpose. But the next verse, verse 29, tells us what the purpose is in Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. Think of it. God God the Father is so delighted with God the Son, Jesus Christ, that he has called millions and millions of sinful human beings to himself, So that Jesus Christ might reproduce himself in our lives and that the universe might be populated with millions of little Christs. And that is the fact that we are given the righteousness of Christ at the moment we believe in Jesus for everlasting life. So the Apostle Paul has you in his mind is what he's telling these believers in Philippi about. And in verses seven and eight, he tells them, I have you in my heart. And so it starts in the mind, but then it affects the emotions it affects our heart. In John or excuse me first John chapter 3 verse 14, the Apostle John writes, "We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. you know loving one another is one of the outworkings of being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I was once told by an old pastor that we're not called to like each other but we are called to love each other in Jesus Christ. And uh, that has always been helpful to me because we know that there's friction in relationships. There's friction in our homes, churches, places of employment, schools, just in general relationships, we, we tend to be uh, rubbing up against each other uh, you know, in, in a way that irritates us, can annoy us in, in every, every type of relationship. Uh, But the Apostle Paul is telling us that I have you in my heart, all of these people. In this uh, short paragraph, verses 7 and 8, there are three you alls, y'alls, if you're from the South. And and in fact, some people say the Apostle Paul, this is an evidence that he was from the South because he uses the term y'all. But anyway, he praises in verse, first part of seven, he praises Uh, God for these other believers. Look at verse 7 again. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. So he's praising God for these partners, these believers in Philippi, who are partnering with him. They've sent him a gift, remember, to help with his care while he's imprisoned. And he's praising God for them. Then secondly, the the second you all is the partnership with other believers, this bond of Christ. And so they are partnered that you all are partakers of this grace with me. In other words, they are partnered with them. In every church, there is no lone person, lone Christian doing it all, or there shouldn't be. But we are Partners in a local church, in that sense, and we are all called to serve the Lord Jesus Christ by serving one another. And so that's the second, you all. The third one is found in verse 8 For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He longs for the other believers. In fact, that word longing, it's like the bowels of affection. You know, when, when you have an emotional reaction, it's kind of like your, your stomach clenches up uh, or in that. But there's deep emotions. There's a desire to be with other believers. And of course, right now, it's very difficult for us to be together physically. And we know that. And with masks and social distancing, we struggle And we long for that. And I trust that you're longing for the day when we see each other face to face. And we can gather again, whether it's in this room or in our homes or other places, uh, that we would have this affection, desire to be with them. So Christian love is not something we work up in ourselves. Oh, I'm supposed to love so and so. Uh, It's not something you work up in your flesh, but it's something God does in and through us. It's Christ's love. Romans 5.5 5 says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And so it's Holy Spirit energized expression of our belief in Jesus Christ to love others. And how can we tell we are truly bound to love other Christians? First of all, we're concerned about them. We're concerned about other believers that we know and we have a willingness to forgive them. All of us make mistakes. All of us intentionally or even more so unintentionally maybe hurt the feelings of another person. And yet are we willing to forgive them? Or in other words, if we're the one offended. So I have you in my mind. I have you in my heart. And the third in verses nine through 11, the apostle Paul tells him, I have you in my prayers. You know, if our fellow believers are in our mind and in our hearts, we will be praying for them. The illustration actually comes out of the Old Testament where the high priests in Exodus 28 wore this garment with this thing called an ephod over his chest, over his heart. And on that ephod were 12 stones with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel on them. What a great picture of this priest, the high priest, Having all of the twelve tribes, uh, you know, in, in a in a metaphor upon his own heart that he would carry them around. And in, in Exodus 28:29, uh, God tells them that and Aaron shall carry the names of the sons of Israel and the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he enters into the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. And so you and I, when we pray, we are entering the holy place like the high priest did in Israel in the Old Testament times, because we are believer priests. We don't need some other person to go to God for us, but we are believer priests, and we can go and pray for others and pray for ourselves. What type of prayer did the Apostle Paul pray? Verse 9, it was a precise prayer. Look at verse 9 with me. And this I pray, That your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. He was precise in his prayer. It was for a mature love of others. Mature in knowledge, mature in discernment is what he wanted us to know. Secondly, it was a purposeful prayer for mature character. Look at verse 10. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. It was purposeful prayer to be sincere and blameless. That word sincere actually comes <clears throat> out of the ancient world. Our lives are to be open before God and others. We must, there not, must not be any hypocrisy. There's a transparency. But in ancient times, in the ancient world of, of Paul's day, the biggest industry in the world was those who made pottery, made vessels to hold uh, foodstuffs and wine and oil and all of that. And pottery varied in quality, uh, just as much of our product today varies in quality. The cheapest pottery in those days was thick and solid, did not, make, uh, did not take much skill to uh, make, and it was found everywhere, and it's still found everywhere in archeological sites. The finest par- pottery was thin, it had a clear color, and it brought a high price in those days. Fine pottery was very fragile, both before and after it was fired, and it would often crack in the oven or the, the kiln where it was fired. And crack pottery should have been thrown away, but uh, business dishonest dealers were in the habit of filling those cracks with a hard wax that would blend in with the color of the pottery. This made the cracks practically undetectable in the shops, especially when they were glazed over or painted over. And the wax was, uh, was immediately detectable, though, if the pottery was held up to the sunlight. It was said that the artificial element was detected by sun testing. In other words, hold the pot up to the sun and you can see the cracks, <coughs> excuse me, where they uh, put wax in it. And honest dealers mark their finer product by the caption, Sina, Sarah, without wax. And that's where we get our word sincere. The Apostle Paul is saying that the flaws in the lives of believers must not be covered up with, our, with wax, basically. Our lives are not perfect. In this life, we will always have flaws, but we must not disguise them artificially. We must be sincera, without wax, sincere. God's love will not f- flow through a Christian whose life is a sham. And so two tests as we exercise spiritual discernment. Uh, number one, when we have a question about our behavior and what our decisions are, will it cause other believers to stumble? And number two, will I be ashamed if Jesus Christ should return right at that moment? And the Apostle Paul says, until the day of Christ. That's a technical term. And Paul prays that these Christians would develop a genuine lifestyle, how to live out the Christian life without hypocrisy before God and men. And this day of Christ refers to a time when Christ will come for all true believers. He will come for his church. We call it the rapture out of 1 Thessalonians. Since we don't know when this event will occur our incentive for, living, incentive for living a pure and blameless lifestyle is to be unashamed before Christ should he choose to come at a time we least expect him. We are to be ready at all times to see our Savior, and we look forward to that day. So it's precise prayer, purposeful prayer, and thirdly, the Apostle Paul prays a positional prayer in verse 11. In verse 11, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He's talking about mature service. He wants us to grow up. We love babies, but we want those babies to grow up. And same with believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are immature when we are first believers, but then we are to grow up in the knowledge and admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Apostle Paul speaks the name of Christ a number of times. Did you know that the name of Christ or Jesus Christ occurs 17 times in this first chapter of this letter? And And this represents a frequency more than once every two verses. The Apostle Paul speaks of joy many times. That's significance, but it is greatly overshadowed by the amount of times he mentions Jesus Paul longed to know Jesus. He longed to know him well. He'd achieved many things, humanly speaking. He had been a rabbi. He knew the law, but he counted all these things lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. Philippians 3, 8. And we need to be connected and understand that Christ is the center. He is the one that cures our our nearsightedness and gets our eyes up off the immediate of today and farsighted into the future and into who and what Jesus Christ is. One of my uh, favorite movies was Lawrence of Arabia. It was produced, I think, in 1961 or 62. I remember as a young man, uh, a friend of mine and I uh, rode to the movie theater on our new 10-speed bicycles to see the, the matinee of this movie but in history, Lawrence of Arabia uh, was in Paris after World War I, and some of his Arabian friends, the tribal people from the peninsula of Arabia, he took them out to show them the sights of the city, showed them the the art at the Louvre, the Arc de Triomphe, Napoleon's tomb, and so on, all these things to see in Paris. But all of these uh, Arabs, they found little interest in those things, it was recorded. The thing that really interested them as desert nomads was the faucet in the bathtub of their hotel rooms. They spent much time there turning it on and turning it off. They thought it was wonderful. All they had to do was turn the handle and they could get all the water they wanted. Can you imagine somebody living in the deserts of Arabia experiencing that for the first time? Sometime later, uh, the story goes on, when they were ready to leave Paris and return back to Arabia, Lawrence found them in the bathroom trying to detach the faucet. You see, they said, it is very dry in Arabia. What we need are faucets. If we had them, we would have all the water we want. Lawrence then had to explain to them the effectiveness of the faucets did not lie in themselves, but in the immense waterworks to which they were attached, He had to point out to them that behind all the faucets lay the rain and the snowfall of the Alps. And that's where that water came from. You know, many people today are living lives that are as dry as the deserts of Arabia. They have the faucets, but there is no connection to the source of the pipeline of joy. They must come to God through Jesus Christ. That is the only way to find true joy in this life. Other people are so parched, are also parched, and they are parched for another reason. There are impurities that choke up the line. The faucets are plugged in their lives. And if you are a Christian, but your life is unhappy and joyless, you need God's cleansing. You come to Jesus Christ for cleansing. And faithful is he to forgive you and declare you righteous. So the Apostle Paul tells us, I have you in my mind. I have you in my heart. And I have you in my prayers. Let's remember the source of the living water is Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day of life. Thank you for your word to the Philippian believers through the Apostle Paul. And Lord, I pray today in these 2,000 years since that uh, we would uh, pay attention to what you're teaching us through this letter. And that as we grow in the Christian life, we would be found pleasing to you and that we would be a blessing to others in this life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Have a great week, and remember to rejoice.